Here we go. First Thessalonians chapter two. If you're just joining us for Mother's Day, we are walking through a, a book in the New Testament. It's this letter that this apostle Paul wrote to a church in a city called Thessalonica. And we're just kind of walking piece by piece through this letter. If you need a Bible somewhere under a seat close by, you can find a hardcover black one. If you don't own a Bible, please leave with that. That is our gift to you today. First Thessalonians chapter two. And as you turn there, um, uh, there's, this, there's this saying that I love. And it goes like this, a messy Bible is usually owned by someone whose life isn't. A messy Bible is usually owned by someone whose life isn't. I remember one of the first times I was at Erica's house when we were dating, um, there, was, there was this image, this picture that just was so vivid. One of the first times I walked into her house um, and it was this image of her dad at the dining room table cleaning a gun as I walked in. <laughs> it wasn't that. But I was sitting in their dining room and there's a little coffee table and on the coffee table was her dad's Bible. And it was sitting and you could tell, like the, the, page, the, the, the corners of the pages were all curled up. And you, you could tell how many times that thing had been flipped through. There were like pages just kind of disheveled and stuck in there. And if you open it up, you'd see all these kind of markings. And, and I looked at that and I'm like, that's a Bible that has gotten some use. A good Bible is like a good baseball glove, broken in and worn out. Am I right? And as I looked at that, I'm like, that's my future father-in-law a man who's just worn out the word year after year after year after year. A messy Bible is usually owned by someone whose life isn't. And now here's the danger of today. The danger of today is that this becomes a heap guilt on us message. You need to read your Bible more. Don't we all know that? Like the last thing that I believe that I can do is scream at us here to read our Bible more. The goal of today is that we would fall in absolute love with saturating our heart with the very word of God. But the goal of today is we're going to enter into the classroom we're going we're gonna to get our minds around what this is. We're going to understand that we have the very words of God. So often in life, I, as a pastor, you run into people, you're like, why doesn't God just tell me? Why, why doesn't he just say it? Good news. He has. He has given us his word. And if right now you're like, ah, oh, I, I know we have that, but he actually tells us that he's given us everything that we need for life and godliness. My goal, our goal, as we study this passage today is that our hearts would explode over what we have in the word of God right here. Paul's going to come to this section. All he's done in the beginning of this letter, and he's just like, I thank God for you. You want to know why I thank God for you? 
because he is working in you. And I thank God for you in this. And I thank God for you for this. And I thank God for you for this. And now he's going to get to a portion of his letter and he's going he's to go, I thank God that when we came to you, you didn't hear what we had to say as the word of men. You got it. You treated it as the word of God, which it was. And if we, as Jesus followers today, will treat this thing as the word of God, I know, I know, I know, I know we know it. I know we know it intellectually. I know we can recite the doctrines of, but if this will saturate from our head to our heart as the very word of God, if we will read it and meditate on it, and let it saturate our heart. We will understand it and then go obey it. God will change our lives through his word. And so the goal today, a higher view of God's word as we walk out of here and a greater hunger to go devour it with our life. Father, come now and preach through your word. Would every word that's about to be spoken right now. Would none of it be built on the wisdom of man? Lord, would, would none of it be dependent on anything other than a demonstration of the power of your spirit through your word? Father, would you grip our heart in such a way that we would fall in love with this? Not just for the end goal of falling in love with the word of God, but for the end goal of falling in love with you, the God of the word. Lord, there is nothing, there's no pep talk, there's no emotionalism that can get us to, lead here to leave here today in greater love than your word. Your spirit has to come do that right now. So God, would we see and savor the goodness of what you've given to us? And Lord, would we live in accordance to it? Lord, come and speak now in Jesus' name, amen. First Thessalonians chapter two, verse 13. Paul picks up this thankfulness and he says, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received, here it is, the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. God. Paul's like, praise God that he came and he worked in you that when we came to you with the word of God, now what's he talking about? Because um, Paul is ministering to these people before we have a closed canon. He didn't walk into Thessalonica with his Old Testament and New Testament tucked under his arm like we would go into a city today. What is he talking about that he came with the word of God? Uh, it's everything that he's been unpacking to this point. He said over and over again, I've come to you with this message. It's called the gospel. And I've come to you with this gospel. And, and I want you to know, this isn't my message. I'm just the mouthpiece of it. I'm just the voice. I've just been entrusted as a preacher of this message. But the message is whose? It's God's. This is God's gospel. This is God's good news to you. I'm simply the, the relayer of that. And he goes, when we came to you, you got that. You got that this was the word of God and you accepted it as the word of God and not as some ideas and some message we created on our own. I praise God. I thank God 
that when we came to you, you embraced the word of God as what it really was, the very word of God. And here's for us, 2,000 years later, the principle we have to grasp that we too are to embrace the word of God as the very word of God. Again, I know most of us gathered here will go, yep, I'm with it. I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. Let's just let God's word speak to our heart to maybe outline some things, to put his finger on some things where it's like, I believe that intellectually, but I'm not living in this area as if it's the very word of God. But in order for us to get there, where we're embracing this as the word of God, we have to understand what it is that we have here from the Lord. And so we got to kind of go to the classroom today. We got to do some teaching on the word of God because, because our heart will never embrace that which our head isn't, isn't getting around. And so look at what 2 Timothy 3.16 says. It says, all scripture is what? It's breathed out by God. Think about that. We have a creator God who spoke the world into existence and who breathes out his word for us. And, and this word that he breathes out, this word that he's given us is profitable. It's for our good. How? For teaching. It's the word of God that is our instructor through life. It's our tutor. It's our mentor. He has not left us trying to wander down here and figure out how every area of life should work. He gives you, he gives us his teaching word and in conjunction with his counseling Holy Spirit, the word and the spirit work together to lead our lives. The word of God also is good for this. It's for good for reproof and for correction. You ever been spanked by the word of God? Been there. It's good for reproof and for correction. And it's good for training in righteousness. We have this breathed out very words of God that's guiding us. And now we could unpack a whole lot of different characteristics and attributes of the word of God, but there's two I wanna highlight for us this morning. Two that I hope will give us a greater fervor and a greater hunger to camp out and meditate on this word and memorize this word. Uh, the, the, the first characteristic or attribute of the word of God we need to understand this morning is the authority of scripture. Now, stay with me here. We good to go to the classroom today, huh? A message like last week is like, preach the gospel, like exhorter message. This is more teaching message this week. We good with that? Authority of scripture. Wayne Grudem, he's written a doorstop of a book called Systematic Theology. Great resource. Uh, in fact, yeah, just a great resource. Here's how he defines the authority of scripture. The authority of scripture means that all the words in scripture are God's words. In a way that to disbelieve or disobey any word of scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. We agree? That when, when we read this and we go, this is the very word of God. He's given us this word. This is to instruct and correct and rebuke all of these things. And for me to read this and go, eh, it's, it's a possibility. And to go do something off on my own against what God has said here is to disobey God because I'm disobeying his very word. Now think about this word authority. 
that we as Christians believe that we have an authority over us. That authority is God and he's given us his word that is over us to guide us in life. How well do you think that goes in a culture that doesn't really like authority? Not real well. In fact, we live in a culture, and I don't want to make some broad, wide, sweeping preacher statement, but for the most part, we live in a culture that bucks against anything of authority. We live in a culture that says, I am the authority. Or, or we, we say, this, this person, we deem an expert on this, this cultural expert, they are the authority in this issue. But people have such a hard time going, the Bible is my authority in every area. Let me let you into what a plane ride is like for a preacher. You want in on that? So a plane ride for a pastor can be broken up into three legs. The first leg is similar to probably what many of you experience. You walk in, you sit down, you're sitting next to someone you don't know. And the first leg is just like small talk, chit chat, right? Where are you from? Where are you going? Blah, blah. The chit-chat always leads to this question, hey, what do you do for a living? In which they usually answer first, and oh, I'm an engineer, such and such, do this, this. And then they reciprocate, what do you do for a living? And I go, I'm a pastor. Upon hearing the statement, I'm a pastor, the language in the conversation immediately cleans up. Not on my end, on their end. It's like the statement, I'm a pastor, is an immediate, like, cuss guard. And I'm so sorry. Like, I've never heard that before, right? And, and so, once they find out you're a pastor, it leads into the second leg of the trip. And the second leg of the trip is now their relaying. It never fails. I'm like, here it comes. They now relay their version of spirituality to me. Okay, like, I'm a real, like, I'm a pastor. Oh, I'm a really spiritual person. Oh, here we go. Okay. Let's talk about that. What, is, what do you mean by that? And they just kind of relay and try to convince me, try to convince the pastor that they're a very religious, spiritual person. Almost as if, as if they want the pastor to go, I'm, I'm putting my stamp of approval on your version of spirituality. Once we make it through that, now it gets interesting. Once, you know, the ice is broken, it always leads to the third leg, which I call pepper the pastor, Right? And Pepper the Pastor is them raising the most controversial topics they possibly can, knowing that the Christian worldview speaks something totally opposite than that. So what do you think about this? Oh, so what do you think about that? And do you really believe this? And here's how I answer every single one of those questions every time. Well, that's a good question. But first, let me say this. It doesn't matter what I think. And it doesn't matter what you think. That if, 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 if I'm a Christian, I believe that God has spoken. I believe he's given us his word. And so I think you raised a good question. And I actually think God says something about that. And so can we just agree? It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what you think. It matters what God says. So let me tell you what God says about this. And here's the response I get almost every time. What? What do you mean it doesn't matter what I think or what you think? But this cultural expert on this topic says this. Yeah, um, that's good. But you have to understand again, as a Christian, this is just the authority 
on every area of my life. And it's almost a foreign concept as we're having this discussion. But we have to, as believers, this isn't just an option of many possible options to speak into areas of our life. This is the authority. And there's something tied to this, this kind of second doctrine or characteristic of the word or attribute that I want to bring out that's tied to the authority of Scripture is this. Not only is it the authority, but also we need to talk about the sufficiency of Scripture. We good? We're still in the classroom, right? I'll get back to the lab here in a minute, but we got to go whiteboard classroom right here. The sufficiency of Scripture. Wayne Grudem defines it like this, and I love it. The sufficiency of Scripture means that Scripture contained all the words of God he intended his people to have at each stage of redemptive history. When you leave, there'll be a test at the door, okay? Turned in by Thursday. And that it now contains all the words of God we need for what? For salvation, for trusting him perfectly, and for obeying him perfectly. This is saying God has given us in his word everything we need to know him and to obey him and to follow after him. Good news. That is good news. He would not be a good God if he put us down here and said, good luck. We'll see on the other side. I hope you figure it out. He's like, I love you. I want you to know how to live this life I've called you to live. You need help parenting? My word speaks to that. You need help in your marriage? My word speaks to that. You need direction? My word speaks to that. To say it like Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He has told us how to live this life and he's told us how to live it in a way that honors him. He's laid it all out. And now I know some of you are like, prove it. Because here, I don't believe it. Because when, when I needed direction on whether I should stay in my job or, or leave my job, I fanned through this thing and I never found the passage. Bill, that was says to thee, quit thy job. When I needed direction, should I marry this, this dude or not? Mary, thou says, marry Jim. Like, prove it. How is this sufficient for everything that life brings? It's better than that. It's better than that. This is the very wisdom of God. And in his word, he lays out principle after principle. And this word is alive and active. So when we study it, when we have a major life decision to make, and when we just camp out here and say, Lord, by the power of your spirit, through your word, guide me. His word comes in alive and active and literally walks with us as the counselor with us through that decision. It's so good. His word is the authority. And his word is sufficient. And we are to embrace the word of God as the very word of God. And now we got to get to why. Okay, we know what. Yeah, we should embrace the word of God as the very word of God. But why is this 
so crucial. I'll keep going on this outline here. Embrace the word of God as the very word of God because God's word is what is working in me. Look how verse 13 finishes up here. He says, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you, what's it say? You accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Now, I want you to see something about the verb tenses here in this verse. Go back up to the beginning of 13. When you received, past tense, what you heard, past tense, you accepted, past tense. But then when you get to the end, he says, which is at work, present tense, in you. This is the power, living and active power of the word of God. Think about, it, it's this, the Greek here of this accepted word, it's, it's called, it's a, it's a aorist indicative verb. All that means is it's like English past tense. And he, he puts this verb accepted in the aorist indicative past tense, but then he gets down to which is at work in you. He says presently, the word you accepted in the past is now right now, it's right now at work in you. Hebrews 4 says this, for the word of God is living and active. It's alive, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Long after we close this thing, it is still at work on us. I was doing some reading on jogging this week because I'd much rather read about it than actually do it. <laughs> and um, they, they say, they being the running experts, that after a good run, your body can still continue to burn fat like two to three hours after the run. Runners, did I just preach runner heresy? Google said it. Everything Google says is right, right? So after two to three hours after a run, your body can still be burning fat. So long after you take off the running shoes and throw them in the corner, your run is still at work on you. Long after you shut the cover of this book and go on with your day, the word of God is still at work on you, bringing specific scripture at specific points into your specific life to guide you because it's alive. I've, I've told this story before, but I'm going to tell it again, and I get to preach and you get to listen, okay? And, um, but I, I, I remember the most vivid example of this in my life. We had gotten about 10 inches of snow, and back where we used to live, the garage was at the end of the driveway, and I'm like, I'm getting my little Mazda 6 into that garage before the rest of the snowstorm hits. And about halfway down the driveway, it just sinks. So now I'm my little Mazda 6 and like 10 inches of snow up to the doors. And so 
I get the shovel out and I start shoveling around the tires and then I'm back in the car and I'm forward, reverse, trying to get it unstuck and back out with the shovel and back in the car and just back and forth, back and forth for probably like 30 minutes at this time. And each time I'm shoveling, I'm shoveling a bit more vigorously because my anger level is is increasing. And finally, the anger level hits boiling point that I take the shovel and with perfect shot put form, twist and just chuck the thing up against the side of the house. And the moment that shovel hit the ground, James 1.20, boom. The anger of man does not bring about the righteousness God desires. And the conviction of the spirit of God standing in 10 inches of snow in my driveway. I thought that was the conviction of the spirit of God. And then I turned around to find my new bride, hands on hips, eyebrows raised. And then I knew what the conviction of the spirit of God was. (laughs) You been there though? I need a, Lord, I need a specific I need your word specifically, and there it is, direction. I, the, um, an immediate rebuke from the word of God, an immediate correction. Folks, this is why, tangent now. Am I good to go on a tangent? You're like, you do all the time anyway. So this is why we're a preach the word church. Because it doesn't matter what I think. And it doesn't matter what you think. Our words are not living and active. We don't want to be a church that preaches about the Bible, but doesn't mind the depths of the riches of the Bible. We don't want to be a church that where we say some quasi-biblical, really cool principles, but we don't mind the word for what it is. We want to just open this up and let God say in his words what he has to say. Because then when we all leave here this week, this is still going to work on us. And I just want to say, if we ever depart from preaching this word, you need to depart this place. I mean it. If I ever deviate from this, you're in the wrong church. Because God has said some things. And all we should be doing is going, here's what God says. Here's what God says. Here's what God says. Tangent over. Embrace the word of God as the very word of God because it's God's word that is working in me and it's God's word that is bearing fruit through me. Now look at what it says here in verse 14. He says, for you brothers, you became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. Now, understand what Paul's saying here. He goes, the word of God, you accepted it as the word, it immediately began working in you, and now we see what's coming out of your life. You, you look like the Jesus followers back in Judea. Your, your life is bearing fruit that you're imitating these Jesus followers who've been walking with the Lord for a longer time than you have. You have become imitators of the people of Jesus back in Judea. And that's a sweet thing because the word of God 
studied, understood, meditated on, memorized, goes in and it changes our heart. And then once it's gripped our heart, it can't help but overflow out of our life. Like sticking a towel in water and pulling it out and the water just dripping off and wringing it out and and the water just pouring out. This is what happens when we saturate our heart with the word of God. It can't not by the power of its spirit produce fruit that flows out of our life. He says, I see that in you. And all week long, I've just been going like, Lord, where am I not bearing fruit that's pleasing to you? Okay, this area, this area, this area. Okay, Lord, is my heart not saturated in your word for for direction in those areas? Full transparency. Um, We just dedicated like our, he's just over a month, Trey. Um, But our second one, a couple of days, will be two years old. And I don't know if you knew this, parents, but uh, parenting a one-month-old is way easier than a two-year-old. Do you know this? I'm like, what do I do with this thing? What's he doing? Why is he doing this? Kaysen, let's walk this way. Oh, you want to go that way? How about this way? Kaysen, don't sit on that. So, oh, you don't want me to sit on that? I'm just going to lay on it. What are you going to do? You know, it's like, what is happening right now? You little wicked sinner. <laughs> I'll just be honest. Like for the first time, I'm like, Lord, I don't think I know how to do this parenting thing. So if you've got to figure it out, please, like, help. And I, I ordered this book. I couldn't sleep the other night, so I ordered this book. Um, and right in the beginning, I was reading the introduction this week, and just so cool to be encouraged and rebuked all at the same time. But the author at the beginning of this book goes, you need to know God and his word has given you everything you need to parent your child. Now, are you, are you sure? Do you, do you know mine? And that's right. God in his word has given me all the wisdom I need to know how to parent this little two-year-old. And that if we'll saturate our heart in that, in every area of our life, it'll begin to bear out fruit. And we need help for our marriage. Saturate your heart in what God's word has to say about marriage. And the fruit your life will bear will start pouring out. But it's all her fault. And she, if only, no, saturate your heart and husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church and see what happens. When we, when we just plant it there, it works on our heart. And then what's in our heart flows out of our lives and it bears fruit. And he's like, Thessalonians, get this. You look like the Jesus people in Judea. You're bearing fruit. This thing's at work in your life. You're, this is awesome. But then there's a specific way that they are imitators of what's going on in Judea. And it's, it's not so fun of a way. It has to do with suffering. Pick it up, middle of verse 14. He says, for you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind. He's talking about the persecution of uh, the, 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 the zealous Jews 
towards the new Jesus followers in Judea. And it's like, how do they oppose all mankind? He tells us, verse 16, by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath, wrath has come upon them at last. He goes, your life is bearing fruit. And with the fruit of following Jesus comes suffering. The word is at work in you in such a way that it's changing your life. And with that has come suffering and persecution for it, just like it has for the believers back in Judea. And so get this now, we are to embrace the word of God as the very word of God because it's God's word that is working in me and it's God's word that's bearing fruit through me. But know this, opposition against people of the word is normal. Why is this the case? We've said it all along throughout this series. It's because there's some stances that God's word takes on things that's on the other side of the fence than the stance of what our culture takes. And when we, when we stand on what God's word says, it, it can lead to ridicule and being ostracized and people getting angry and upset. And I just want us to understand when those things happen and we're like, no, I, I think what I'm saying is just biblical. It's just what God says and someone is unhappy or angry with us on the other side, don't feel like you're weird. It's just normal. It has been from the very beginning of the Jesus movement. You take a stand for the Lord, some people go, that's right, I'm joining this. And other people go, that's ridiculous. And I'm angry. But I want us to see here today that our commitment to the word of God, my commitment to the word of God, will bring with it the sweet blessings of the word. Alive and active, guiding us, giving a specific scripture, a specific time to guide us in exactly what we need. It'll bring the blessings of the word and it'll also bring with it from time to time the opposition of the world. It's just part of following Jesus. So here's my hope today. In the classroom, in the classroom of a study on the word of God, my hope today is that God would make us people of his word. That, that, that we would go home and, and dust off our Bibles and open it up and go, if I read this and know this and meditate on this and memorize this and obey this, this will change things. This will change my marriage. This will change the way I parent. This will change the direction that I'm seeking. This will change things. God, make us people of your word, that this would be the GPS for every area of our life. That we would submit to this as the authority. Listen, I say this lovingly. We don't have a better plan. Sometimes I remember not planned statement. I remember early on in ministry, there's this young couple that needed some counsel, and uh, they came in and because there was it was um, there's a female involved. I just called Erica and had her come over and meet with me. And I remember they walked out and Erica just looked at me like, "What was that? I'm like, what do you mean? What was that?" So. What kind of counsel was that? 
And I just remember, like, I, was, I thought I had some good wisdom for him and just laying down the wisdom, laying down some Brock wisdom on him. And she's like, no, just stick to the word, dummy. She didn't say it like that, but I got the point. But she was right. We don't have a better plan. The wisdom of man is foolishness to God. That this would be the authority and that we would realize that it's sufficient for everything that we need. And I get it. Some of us are like, I know I don't read my Bible enough, and, but I don't know. I don't know what to do. And I turn, I turn to this book called like Leviticus and I just start reading and I'm just like, what are all these laws and what's going on? And I, let, me, let me encourage you with this and then I'm done. There's a great app out there. You're like, can you read the Bible on your phone? Does that count? It counts. The updated version says all scripture is God breathed even on an iPhone. And <clears throat> but go download this app. Read scripture app. And what this is, is you can put a start date in on this. So you make your start date tomorrow. And it's going to start you in the book of Genesis. But before you begin, in every, every book you get to, in every section of scripture, there's going to be a video that gives you an overview. Okay, here's what you're about to go into. And here's, here's the things you're going to be studying. And here's what you need to know of how this connects with the rest of the grand storyline of the Bible. It's, it, it's a great tool. Download that app, put your start date tomorrow or today and just get in this every single day. And I'd encourage you, get one other person and do it with them. And then get together once a week at, uh, over coffee or grab breakfast or lunch and just start talking about what you're reading and ask questions to each other and make observations to each other. But I would encourage us to firmly plant our life in the word of God that we wouldn't deviate from it every Sunday we meet here and we wouldn't deviate from it every day on our own. And it might start as a discipline. Okay, I know I need to do this. I know this is good. But as that discipline begins, I promise us it'll quickly turn into a delight. Lord, I hunger for your word. I want it. I need it. Give me more of it. Oh Lord, make us a people of your word. Amen. Will you stand with me? I just want to pray and then we're going to worship. Father, I just pray now that your spirit would come now and bring to application specifically into our hearts those things which need to be driven into our specific hearts for application. Lord, I recognize there's some of us here who we've tried. We've tried. We've jumped into the Bible and no one's helped us and we don't know what it's saying and we get frustrated and we don't get the purpose. Lord, I pray that as people begin their journey through a study of your word, Lord, would you, would your spirit open the eyes of their heart to see those things which you're saying to them through it. I pray that disciples would come alongside them and help them. Father, I pray for those looking for very specific direction for a specific season or calling on their life. Lord, would your word show itself so sufficient to give that direction? Lord, I pray for those needing great comfort in this season. Would they find all the comfort they ever needed through early morning meetings with you and your word?
for all of us, Lord. I pray that the end game would not be just a greater love of your word, yes, but I pray more than that. I pray our greater love for your word would lead us to a greater love of you, the God of the word. Please, Lord, come do that now. So, Lord, our lives are busy. You know that. And yet we're too busy to not camp out in your word. Life's too crazy to not carve out time for it. We need too much leading and directing to not get this, Lord. Come now, as your people, we hunger for your word. Would you give us an even greater hunger for it? Thank you for not leaving us as wanderers. Thank you for giving us the GPS of every area of our life. We're grateful. And we pray this in Jesus' name.